As the world emerges from the shadows of a pandemic, we're all wondering what's next. Has our experience in lockdown altered the future we expected, or has it simply accelerated ongoing change? What's in store for us over the next few years? Join me, Susie Golding, and me, Andrew Clark, in Singapore every week. As we ask leaders across Asia, working in marketing, communications, and lifestyle, one simple question. What's What's next? next? Hello, Susie. Hey, Andrew. How are you? You know, I'm going to talk about my health problems. I've been suffering from a terrible, terrible gout attack for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've got gout. It really sucks. Isn't that something that um, Henry VIII of that period, the Tudors... Tudors suffered from. That is correct. They call it the disease of kings or something like that. (laughs) Too much port and livers and kidneys. I was told by my doctor I had gout about three years ago. Um, And um, you can control it by drinking lots of water and avoiding the things that everybody loves, namely beer and wine and rich food. Oh, dear. Well, my brother had gout a few years ago. Oh, really? Which... You can imagine was a much hilarity in the family that my much younger brother had gout. <laughs> so there wasn't much sympathy going on. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't get a lot of sympathy for having gout. You have gout symptoms for basically overindulging. <laughs> and that's not a good thing. But that's what this lockdown has done. It's just meant that I've been overindulging, drinking, probably yes. drinking yes. too much alcohol. Yes, But I'm not sure you can blame the lockdown, though, Andrew, because you have just mentioned that you were diagnosed with gout quite some time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing to say. Anyway, who are we interviewing this week? So this week we're talking to Whitney Ford Small, and she's a real communications veteran. Um, and has lived in Asia for on and off for years in, in lots of different countries. So I think she'll have some really interesting things to say about what's been happening over the last few months and the impact that that's had on, on communication. That's right. And we spoke to her in Maine a week or so ago. She's got lots of stories to tell, especially about why she's stuck in Maine and not in Thailand. So shall we jump in, Susie? I think we should. Let's do it. Well, I'm going to warn you, we have a Tibetan Mastiff downstairs. I'm in the upstairs office. but uh, So just a warning, if you hear a very deep, dark bark, that's a Tibetan Mastiff having a bit of a go. <laughs> We're used to animals on the show. We are, yes. How are you doing, Whitney? Well, I'm doing great when you consider all that's going on. I mean, I'm locked out of Thailand, um, so uh, I miss my, uh, my pugs uh, greatly. Um, but I'm, I was lucky to, uh, to be able to land at the family home here in the, on the shore of Maine. So if you're going to be locked down someplace, this is about the best that you can possibly find. What's it been like observing things from afar? What's been going on in your beloved Thailand? Well, um, you know, Thailand's handled things fairly well. Um, they've haven't had any transmission now for about, uh, uh, in any community transmission, I should say, um, uh, for about five weeks. Um, so that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, but of course, they've done it by severely locking things down. Um, so in, in the New England area, we're doing quite well. Um, of course, uh, the rest of the U.S. has is especially the southeast, uh, west and south are, are, are in significant trouble. It's pretty tough. Um, and, uh, you know, it's I think it's hard for a lot of businesses 
uh, to understand the rules because, you know, everybody would like the rules to be set, but how do you set rules when you're working with something that you are learning about every day? You're learning something new every day. And some days it's reassuring and some days it's just shocking. So, um, so it's, uh, and then of course we have an election coming up, which, uh, just raises the ante. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I try to avoid thinking about it sometimes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your career and where you've worked and, and what you do, Whitney? Well, let's see. Um, you know, what happened was I, uh, I ended up going to school in China back in 1984 and 85, really early days. And those, that was the beginning of when American students um, could, uh, uh, could study in China. So I ended up studying at Nankai University in Tianjin. After that, I graduated. And at that time, there really weren't jobs yet in China. Uh, those were very early days. But Taiwan was booming. Um, and in Taiwan, I worked on joint ventures, diverse things like uh, the import of, um, oddly enough, Land of Lakes products from Minnesota. That started to intrigue me. It really started to make me very interested in in how uh, products could be marketed, how communications had to be cross-cultural, um, how you had to take into account the perception of, of and expectations that people have for goods and services. Um, and that was, uh, that's what kicked it off. So then I, uh, I went to work in, in Hong Kong and I worked for a marketing firm in Hong Kong. So I did things like Cathay Pacific, uh, Standard Charter Bank, F1 racing and things like that. God, that would have been fun. It was, it was, it was interesting. And then I went back to Taiwan and then I went to Thailand, then I went back to Hong Kong and then went back to Thailand, then I went back to China, and then I went back to Thailand. <laughs> so... Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is the longest I've been in the States in 35 years. Wow. <laughs> so in your time in in the region, you mentioned about the, the difference between East and West communication. How do you think the last few months where most of our communication has been like this over a bloody screen? Don't say it. Um, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say the W word, Andrew. Don't say that. Don't say the Z word. <laughs> or the Z word. <laughs> do you think it's highlighted those differences? Do you think that we're finding more common ground? There are micro expressions that get lost when we're when we're speaking like this. And especially if a meeting is larger, it's very easy for someone to, to, you just will miss it. Where someone kind of maybe has a quizzical or doesn't really understand um, or feels like they might want to ask a question, but might be, be uh, co you know, concerned about asking a question. You know, in every meeting, there's always a younger person, a junior person, or a slightly more introverted person who struggles to make an impression. What would your advice be to people like that? I'm I'm a believer in emergenetics. I, I don't know if you're familiar with emergenetics. No mm. idea. Okay, so emergenetics is about how people, their preferred thinking. It's great for team building, because it helps people to recognize what their preferred thinking is and also what other people's preferred thinking is. And then you can start to understand, oh, okay, I know that this woman is highly analytical, but she has a very low level of aggression, okay? So I know I need to get her expertise in this meeting, but she's not going to volunteer it because that's not 
the kind of a communicator she is. So I have to actively work to make sure to bring her into the conversation. Where can we find out more about um, Emergenetics? They have workshops. I actually took their workshop to as a trainer, so to get my sort of... No way. Oh, really? Um, and Seriously? I, wow. I mean, people, you know, it's it, I, I find it most useful for teams, particularly because I do a lot of crisis work, mm. particularly for teams that have to do crisis. Yeah. Because they do not have time to make a mistake. That's very timely intel, actually, because I'm working on a crisis comms proposal. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll check out Emergenetics. On my Emergenetics profile, I'm both conceptual as well as analytical. Some people mm-hmm. are analytical, conceptual, social. It can, what it do you can think be you might be, Andrew? So. Oh. <laughs> Very conceptual, uh-huh. I think. And social. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think conceptual and, 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 you know, I'm quite aggressive in the way that I communicate. Where do you think you would fare, Susie? I think um, I'm quite aggressive. I know that in, in, in my communication sort of style. And I do have to sort of rein it in, particularly working in Singapore. I'm quite structural. Yeah. So I like things to follow an order um, and, and, and less conceptual. But yeah, I'd, I'd be really curious to find out what my sort of mix is. Talking about sort of crisis comms, and I, and I think for lots of brands, they feel like they're in a bit of a potential crisis situation because of what's happening in the world at large. I think for a lot of brands, it's hard for them to know sort of how to navigate these uh, somewhat uncharted waters and obviously you've worked with a lot of brands over the years and across the region and and what do you think is is their best sort of plan of action? I think the first thing is that they have to make sure that their staff are on board. If their staff don't believe that what they're doing is real, it's authentic, it's effective, they're done, cooked, finished. And, you know, if you look at um, uh, Colgate, for example, who owns Darley Toothpaste, um, you know, they they had a chance to write that the right way back in, what is it, 89. Just for our listener who doesn't know this story, Darley used to be called Darky. Yes. And what happened was um, it was uh, it was very popular all over Asia, but very popular in Taiwan. Uh, and then when Colgate bought it, um, a group of, of uh, black congressional um, American representatives uh, came to Taiwan to discuss with Hall- with Colgate, to Holly Hazel, uh, you know, this name is not appropriate. This is this is wrong. Um, and it took them about two years uh, to get a name change, two years of research, uh, which, you know, when you then realize that all they did was... <laughs> take the K out and put an L in. <laughs> Change the <know>? letter. <laughs> but I remember very, very vividly uh, being in Hong Kong. I was working in Hong Kong at the time, 89. And I, I dropped down into the central um, station onto the MTR uh, to go to work. And they had overnight put changed all the hoardings. And so all of them said in English, it said, we used to be darky and now we're darly. But underneath in Chinese, it said, but we're still black people's toothpaste. And they kept the Chinese on the label. So it was, you know. Unbelievable. So wrong. Unbelievable. On so, 
The thing is, is that, you know, my immediate feeling is to laugh at that. I mean, it's to laugh at that, but I feel really uncomfortable laughing at that. I know. Right. The mm. context of the story is totally in line with what we're seeing during this period right. at the moment, right. where brands, in many cases, whether it be Black Lives Matter or whether it be COVID, there's been so much, you know, just not getting it right. But you can also, I mean, this is where I think engaging staff and the ones that do it well in the States, for example, Patagonia does it very, very Amazing. well. Amazing. Um, Facebook doesn't do it well. Um, and where you engage staff and, and those staff actually are your advocates. They are saying, you know what? What we say is what we do. I can tell you that. Yeah. I think it's wonderful the way that you bring it back to the staff as well. From what I can understand from what you're saying, it's very clear that if there is a gauge for how well it's being done in terms of doing things right, look at the staff. I, I, I don't think this is limited to Asia or Africa, or I think this is true everywhere. Mm. I think you also have to look at how your staff wants to be communicated with. And in that case, I would also say, and I've, I've done this now uh, three times, we, you know, you, we work in countries, I'll use Thailand as an example, where, you know, the literacy rate is 99%. And people always say, oh, we have literacy of 99%. Literacy is not comprehension. I've found that uh, you can forget written materials. We switched everything to video. So all the manuals were done in video. All of the information about environmental change were all done in video, or they were done with animation, which we see a lot of in, in Asia uh, in particular. Or in the form of a podcast. Yes. Indeed, in the form of a podcast. Exactly, exactly. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great yep. idea? And I mean, I, I, a lot of people have, have laughed about this when I've, I've mentioned to them, have you ever checked your staff in terms of comprehension level? And they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't have it. And then when we do, oh, yeah, there's so true. So and comes back to that empathy, isn't it? That empathy and, and a little bit of uh, emergenetics, so how people are actually taking in information and communicating and the cultural differences. So it sort of wraps up everything nicely that we've talked about today. Whitney, let, let's ask you, uh, what are you watching, what are you reading, and what are you listening uh, to? Yeah, okay. I always read one nonfiction and one fiction. I just finished the end of October because, you know, I haven't had enough of pandemics yet. So I thought, all right, I'll read the end of October, which then led me back to rereading Station Eleven, which is, which is also a, a terrific <laughs> book. But I'm, uh, my nonfiction is How the South Won the Civil War by Heather Cox Richardson a fellow Mainer, actually. She's a history professor, and she writes a newsletter every day, and she's my daily reading, for sure. Um, but it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, interesting book. Um, I, uh, I found myself needing a break uh, from, from television and all, um, <laughs> but I did, I did watch one series recently that I just adored. It's a Norwegian series called be foreigners. Oh, interesting! It is a it is a very Ooh. interesting uh, uh, show. I, I highly recommend it. I'm praying that there's going to be season two. Uh, it is in Norwegian and in Old Norse, so titles are your friends. And uh, 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 it's it's a very interesting and very wow. original premise. So I would highly recommend that. One <laughs> yes. As well. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's it's great. And then 
uh, I, for a feeling of uplifting, I just rewatched Anvil, right. the story of Anvil. Oh, that is one of my favorite <laughs> music documentaries of all time. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, it's just, yeah. it really is so wonderful. I think I watch it at least once a year. Oh, and then for listening, I have been, uh, I, I've got um, Jason Isbell on Heavy Rotation. And Raphael Sadiq. Oh, Raphael Sadiq. I like him. I adore him. And he's got a new album out too. So Jason yeah, Isbell yeah. and Raphael Sadiq. They're, Jason Isbell is Americana. And uh, really, Southeastern uh, is one of his first solo albums. And it is stunning. But he's got a new one out too. Um, so I, I really love him. He's, he's really a very interesting artist. We, we miss you over here. We hope you can come home soon. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you. My pleasure. This is fun. And do look up Emergenetics. I think both of you guys would find it very interesting. Thanks, everybody. This was fun. I love it. Well, that was a fascinating conversation, wasn't it? It really was. I so enjoyed that. She is such a trooper. I mean, bloody hell, the woman's done a bit of everything, hasn't she? She's got amazing stories too. I mean, I think that the one thing which I'm amazed and constantly amazed about is her is her ability to bridge East and West. Yeah, I agree. And also, because she's spent a lot of time over here, but obviously she's, she's from the US seeing the changes like over the decades yeah. of the time that she's spent here you know and, and contrasting that with what it's been like in the US particularly more recently it was really fascinating absolutely that story that she told about Darley toothpaste as well was excellent oh my god yeah like it was funny but not funny you know what funny, I mean funny but not funny <laughs> especially at this moment in time right yes Yes. So who have we got on next week, Susie? Next week, Andrew, we're talking to a friend of mine, Brad Robinson. And Brad is the CEO of Ritual Gym, um, which has been uh, on the sort of fitness scene in Singapore for, I think, about five or six years now. There's such an original sort of concept when they started. Um, and it's a really inspiring story that they've got both, both Brad's personal story as to why he got into health and fitness and also the development of the ritual brand. So I think he'll have some really interesting views on what fitness has been going through over the last few months and what the future of fitness looks like as we sort of start to emerge and have to start to look beautiful again. Maybe as a result of the uh, conversation that we'll have with him, I might think as a means to manage my gout that I should probably start going to ritual gym like you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I imagine it's quite good for um, those gouty moments. Absolutely. You've been listening to me, Andrew. And me, Susie, and our lovely guest. On What's Next, the podcast which asks just that. If you enjoyed listening like subscribe leave a review and do recommend us to anyone else that you think would find our ramblings interesting you can find this podcast on all the major channels where you find your podcasts so join us next week when we'll be asking someone else what's, what's next, next?